Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Skype, blogs, texting, cell phones, you name it, we've got more ways to communicate today than ever before. Seems like people are always either on the phone, on Facebook, texting, talking to somebody. We are talking and communicating more than we ever have, but yet what are we saying? Are we saying anything that matters? Are we just filling time? Hi, I'm Pastor Rusty Gunther, First Baptist Church of Blowing Rock. I want to thank you for visiting our podcast page. Today's message was recorded on June the 2nd, 2013, and it's number 15 in our Nehemiah study series entitled Repair, Rebuild, and Restore. This service looks at the idea of talking more, saying less, and how we as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ are called to make our speech count for eternity. Hope you enjoy today's message. We're going to join it in our early service in progress. As we sing. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How Father, we just come and just recognize who you are and what you've done in our lives. Father, we proclaim you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, you are greater than anything else in our lives and anything that we might put in our lives. And Father, we ask now for your word to come alive, for it to speak to us, for it to challenge us, for it to guide us and direct us and open our eyes to your way. In your name we pray. Amen. There's a story told that on the day that Jesus went back to heaven, when he ascended to heaven, he happened to see Gabriel when he came into heaven, and they had a little talk. And Gabriel said, well, how did it all go? Jesus said, it went perfect. It was uh, excellent. I don't think I could have planned for it to go any better. And Gabriel said, well, then they, they worshiped you then, right? They made you king. He said, no, no, they didn't make me king. He said, well, then they made you a prince or something, didn't they? Jesus said, no, they they really didn't make me prince. He said, well, then, of course, they they worshipped you. Jesus said, well, some did, but most didn't. Gabriel said, well, then, then what did they do? Jesus said, well, they crucified me. Gabriel said, they crucified you. Well, then, surely, after they crucified you, they they worshipped you. Jesus said, no, no, they really didn't even worship me then. Gabriel said, well, then, what happened? He said, well... After I rose, I challenged the people, my disciples, then I left. Gabriel said, you just left? He said, then I left. He said, well, what happens if it doesn't work out? What happens if they don't do what what you've called them to do? What's plan B? Jesus said, there is no plan B. You see, it did work out. Those disciples, those followers of Christ, did what God called them to do. And 2,000 years later, we sit here this morning because they were faithful. 
But we sit here understanding and recognizing that each one in this room has been given the same call and challenge. And we've been given the same opportunities and we've been given the same gifts. See, we have the same Bible. We have the same God. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same gospel message to take to the world around us. I want you to think about something for just a minute. Historically, for the first 1,500 years after Jesus' resurrection, the Word of God was spread almost completely around the known world at the time. And it was spread primarily word of mouth. See, they didn't, most of them didn't read and write. They didn't have the Bible written in their own languages. Most of them couldn't read the Bible. They, they didn't have any other means of communication. Now, there were some letters written, and, but most of the conversions that took place, most of the spreading of the gospel was done mouth to mouth, word to, to family members and to those in their community. 1,500 years, that's all they had. Then about 300 years after that, uh, things began to come along. The Bible was translated into people's uh, modern tongue. It was translated in many languages. And, and people were able to read the Bible for the first time from about 1500 to about 1850. Read the Bible in their own language. Uh, there were, that's when the modern missionary movement started. People started gathering in large places to hear the gospel preached. Uh, we began to see the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening, and then leading into the second Great Awakening. People were still spreading the gospel. But even then, primarily, it was done person to person. And then in the last 150 years, think of all the technology we have. Think of all the changes that have come in 150 years. The gospel has been spread up until that time for 1,800 years. But in the last 150 years, we've had telegraphs. And that led to, to records and to movies and then to television and to video. And audio, the gospel being able to be placed on a record and taken to places and played in people's own language. Think about the technology that's changed. Just think of the last 15 years. How many of you here 15 years or younger? Anybody in here 15 years or younger? Raise your hand. 15 years since, since these people have been born. Think back 15 years ago. Do you know what the, the, the biggest technological advance that people were excited about getting in their home 15 years ago? Beepers. How many of you remember carrying a beeper? Anybody carry a beeper? We thought beepers were incredible back then. Everybody had beepers. Now, to, to talk about having beepers, that just sounds crazy that you had a beeper that then you had to go find a phone. Now, some people had cell phones, but they were huge bags. Remember those? Huge batteries you had to carry around. So think in the last 15 years what have happened. Personal computers have come into our homes, laptops, the Internet. Everyone's got a cell phone, not just cell phones, smartphones. We can now talk to people around the world with the push of a button. Got all types of means of communication, Facebook and Twitter and, uh, you know, the websites that we have and blogs and, and message boards, all types of ways to communicate with people. I mean, it's phenomenal. You can connect now with someone that you hadn't seen in 40 years like that. You can find them on the Internet and connect with them. People that you grew up with that you hadn't seen your whole life, you can reconnect. Family members you can connect with. You can talk to your family face-to-face on your cell phone. Is that not incredible? I mean, both of my children were baptized, and my parents, who were 2,000 miles away, watched it live, streaming video. It's incredible. 
the way we have communication today. And, and in having that communication, uh, what sociologists tell us is that now, like never before, we are communicating more than we've ever communicated. We're always on the phone. You think of how much time you spend on the cell. What do we do before cell phones? I mean, how did we make it driving without a cell phone, right? How do we make it communicate? I mean, now we spend all our time. We're texting and we're talking or we're on the Internet or we're always communicating one way or the other. But you see, my fear is that, that while we're talking more, we're saying less. What is it that we talk about? What is it that we communicate? All this technology, what is it that we're saying? See, let me put it in perspective. In the last 10 years in the United States of America, for the first time in the history of our country, conversions, people coming to know Jesus Christ, have gone down every year for the last 10 years in the United States. Every year. Last year, there were 40,000 churches in the United States of America that on paper said not one person came to know Jesus Christ in their church. 40,000 churches. It's not any wonder that over 3,000 churches close their doors every month in the United States. 40,000 churches had not one convert. Talk about Baptists, which we're a part of. According to how many members we have in Baptist churches and how many baptisms we had last year in Baptist churches, it takes, comparing those two numbers, it takes 34 church members... Eight years to win one person to Christ. That's how many people are coming to Christ in churches today. 34 members, eight years to win one person. That, that, now, that's, that's an average, and some churches are doing better, and some people are doing better. But it gives us a, a thought process to think about. We're communicating more than ever before. More tools, more resources, more opportunities. But what are we saying? Now, let me... Let me take it a little more personal because see, that's easy to hear those facts 40,000 churches didn't lead one person to Christ and, and gasp or think wow that, that's incredible let, let me make it personal how many people in the last year did you share the gospel with how many people personally did you share Jesus Christ with this year now, let me make it easier. That's convicting. Let me make it easier. How many people did you share your Christ story? Your story about how you came to know Jesus, what Jesus is doing in your life. I, I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about getting on a stool in, in the street corner with a family Bible and preaching. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, memorizing verses and trying to go through some system. I, I just mean just with family members or friends or in conversation or on the Internet. Or How many people did you share what grace means to you, what... Uh, the incredible, unconditional love means to you? What forgiveness means to you? How many people did you tell your Jesus story this year? Now, the answer that I always get is people say, well, I invited people to church. And that's good. That's, matter of fact, that's awesome. I, I am so appreciative of all the people we have coming because someone invited them to church. You should be excited about what God's doing in church. You should be excited about what God's doing in your heart, especially, you know, I'm, I'm amazed to hear 
There's people that are not happy with some of the changes that are going on in our church. And someone this week told me that someone in our church said, listen, things are going bad in our church. Things are not, not doing good. Now, I just, it's amazing to me that that could uh, even be communicated when you look at all that God is doing. I mean, it's, uh, this last winter, we averaged more in this church over the winter than we have any time. In the last 10 years. Last summer, we averaged more in our worship attendance than we have any time in the last 10 years. Uh, we have more people in small group and Sunday school right now than in the history of our church. We are financially secure. We have no debt. And just this last year, due to incredible gift of God, uh, we were able, being landlocked all these years, we were able to purchase property across the street, debt-free to open up an incredible future. You, you tell me God's not doing something? All the families that are joining, all the people that are coming, you should be excited about that. You should be inviting people to come and see what God is doing. Matter of fact, if, if you were at our church picnic Wednesday and you saw most we've ever had and, and more people and young people and children, our, our children's area is, is just exploding and overwhelmed. I don't know how you could see that and not get excited. So you should want to invite people to church. But let me in, let you in on a little secret. 95% of all conversions, people coming to know Jesus Christ, happen outside the walls of the church. 95% happen out there. And most of those happen in one-on-one conversations. Most of those happen when one person shares with someone else. You see, what I'm afraid is we've forgotten who we are and what we're called to do. I'm afraid that this generation, with all of the communication availability to us, all the the, the means that we have to share Jesus Christ with a world that is hurting, we're dropping the ball. We say the word evangelism, and most people get scared. See, evangelism just simply means sharing the good news. Sharing what Jesus has done in your life. Now, people say, well, isn't that the preacher's job? Or isn't that an evangelist's job? No, it's all of our jobs. You see, because evangelism is not something you do. It's who you are. It's in your DNA. The Bible tells us that when you come to know Jesus Christ and you get the Holy Spirit living inside of you, sharing becomes a part of who you are and what you do. And so it's not something that you have to force yourself to do. It should be natural. It should be something that just comes out of us. It should be something that we can't help coming out. But you see, instead, we shy away and we're in fear. And some of us feel, I don't know what to say or I'll mess it up. You see, to be abnormal is to not share your faith. It's who we are. So this morning, for just a couple of minutes... I want to look at our story in Nehemiah. We've been walking through Nehemiah now since January. And I I want to go back and look at a passage we passed by last week. Just to give you some encouragement. Just to give you maybe some some refocusing on what God is telling us to do. So if you have a Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you don't, you can follow along on that blue sheet. This is our series, Repair, Rebuild, and Restore. Uh, in, in Nehemiah chapter uh, 8 is where we're going to pick up about midway through. Uh, you know, we, we remember Nehemiah's chapter 1 through 7 were about rebuilding the security. It was about rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah bringing the children of Israel back from captivity to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. They wanted to rebuild uh, their reputation, rebuild their safety, See, the children of God had been disobedient. They turned their back on God. They were worshiping false gods. They they were sinning. 
And so God, what God does when we sin is allows us to deal with the consequences of our sin. And the consequence of their sinning, their turning their back on God, was slavery. Now, let me just say this. While that's talking about the children of Israel, sin always leads to slavery. It always leads to you being enslaved to that sin. And so while they needed security and while they needed some hope, what Nehemiah is realizing here in chapter 8 is not just the external walls need to be rebuilt, the personal relationship to God needed to be restored. So we saw two weeks ago, the first part of Nehemiah chapter 8, he gets with Ezra, who's the high priest. They call all the people together, and they begin to read the word of God. The Bible says they read from sunup till afternoon, and as they read, the people began to worship, hearing. It wasn't just anything he was reading. He was reading the law, the, the law that they needed to obey to follow God. And in reading the law, the Bible says the people became convicted They became broken. They started weeping. Why were they weeping? They were weeping because they realized it was their sin that caused them to be separated. That it wasn't God that pushed them into captivity. It was their own choice. And you see, we need to realize this morning that that most of the things that we deal with in our life are consequences of our actions and our disobedience to God. They recognized that that they, they were the ones, and in their conviction, they repented. You see, repentance always brings restoration. They turned back to God and said, God, we were wrong. We need you. And in that, Nehemiah and Ezra began to share with them that we, they serve a God who was for, a forgiving God. Verse 12 says, as they begin to recognize that God forgives them and that God restores them, there was a joy that overwhelmed them. It's a picture of conversion. Picture what happens when you and I get saved as we recognize that our sin is what causes us to be separated from God. We become convicted of our sin. We come back to God and our relationship is restored with God. But you see, they didn't just want fire insurance. The children of Israel just didn't want a restored relationship. They wanted a deep, abiding, on fire, fervent relationship with God. So where we read last week, starting in verse 13, it says that they came back to Ezra and said, let's keep reading because they wanted the word of God to come alive to them. And so Ezra began to read the word of God and it wasn't just words on a page anymore. It began to speak to them. And I told you last week, if you want to get a deeper relationship to God, you've got to have this book as central to your life. And as you read this book and are willing to obey and are willing to listen to its words, it will come alive to you. The Holy Spirit will bring illumination. It will change your life. And as they were reading this word, they were overcome with a deep sense of God's direction for their life. And in that, they were called to go and obey. And they went out excitedly and began to obey. But I want you to see one verse that, like I said, I kind of skipped over last week because I think it gives us some encouragement today. Look down with you if you've got your Bibles out, uh, starting in verse 14. He's reading the word. It says, They found written in the law, which was the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seven months. We talked about that last week. It was the Feast of Tabernacle. They, uh, to celebrate what Moses had done in their life, they were to live in these booths out on their roofs and in their foyers for seven days. And in doing that, look what it said. Here's the two words I want you to pick up on that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and through all Jerusalem. That they should proclaim and spread. 
Now, now that's our key today. What, what were they proclaiming and spreading? The word of God. They were proclaiming and spreading that, that God spoke to them, that God can speak to you, that God has a word calling us to do something. And see, what I want you to understand this morning is we have a message. We have a word that we are called to proclaim and spread to the world around us. It's a word that God is calling each one of us to to step out and speak. The first step of obedience for any believer, anyone that's been restored, is to spread the word what's happened to them. To spread the word what God is doing in them. And just like the children of Israel in Nehemiah's time, when we've been restored in our relationship to God through Jesus Christ, we are called to communicate that. To share the good news. Listen to what Jesus said as he was leaving this earth. We call it our great commission. Matthew has it, the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. The Greek there uh, actually is not a, a, an affirmative of saying go. The Greek word is saying as you live your life, as you go about life, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. What, what Jesus is saying is as you live your life, proclaim, spread the good news. As you go about your day, when you're at work and when you're with your family and and in all that you do, you need to share. You see, so many Christians think that if I just live the Christian life, that'll be enough. There always comes a time in your life where just living is not enough. You've got to share. You've got to speak. You've got to open your mouth. Listen to what Luke's version says, Acts chapter 1. Luke keeps writing after the end of the gospel of Luke into Acts. And as he writes, he continues back to Jesus' final words. Listen to what he says. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So that's what I was talking about, your DNA. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, Luke doesn't just say that you're supposed to spread and proclaim. He even tells you where to start. Where does he say? He says, start in Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? It's where they lived. You see, our first task, our first call is to reach those closest to us. Tell your family about what God's doing in your life. Tell your loved ones about what God's doing in your life. It always breaks my heart when people come and say, listen, Rusty, will you pray? I've got a mom or a dad or a brother and sister who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And I always join with them in prayer, but I always say this, don't pray for them unless you're willing to pray that you be the one to share the gospel with them. See, we will answer for those that are our family. We will give an account on how we shared what Jesus is doing in our life to those that are closest to us. What Luke said is start with those around you, those closest. And then he said, spread out. He said, Jerusalem, Judea. Judea was the next area. That was like the region. He said, then go to your community and your schools and your neighbors, your co-workers, church. Then take it to Samaria. Why not share with those out that you haven't talked to in a while. Those that are further out. You know, God really convicted me this week as I was reaching through this because I was thinking about this. You know, and by the way, for those of you that don't recognize, that, uh, that is, was our way. That was my generation's texting right there, okay? So, I mean, how, how many of you in here ever did a cannon string and talked to people? In that? I mean, that was it, right? Our kids will never do that. They go, why would I do that? I can just do this, right? 
And I was thinking about reconnecting with all the people that I've reconnected with. And, and, and I remember uh, when I moved away from my hometown, I'm from South Texas, and uh, once I started serving God, I, I hadn't been back. I, my family moved out of that town. And there were so many people in my hometown, so many people I went to school with, so many people I was friends with, that when I was in high school, I claimed the name Jesus Christ, but I didn't live it. And I can't tell you how many times over the last almost 30 years, my 30-year high school anniversary will be this next year, for the last 30 years, God's convicted me about those people that I know don't know Jesus Christ. And I didn't do anything about it. I had four years in high school. And as I was praying through this, God said, remember all those times you felt convicted to pray for those people? Well, now they're all on your Facebook page. What are you doing about it? Now they all talk to you. You see, God is opening a door, not just for us to reach Jerusalem and Judea, but even Samaria, people we we passed in our life years ago that we thought, I wish I would have said something. I wish I would have done something. Now you have a chance. Stop talking and say something that matters. Now you have a chance to make a difference. He said, even unto the ends of the earth. You see what he's saying here? And let me give you a, uh, a breath of fresh air. What he's saying here is he says, don't, you know, don't, it's not about giving some theological treatise. I'm not talking about getting on your Facebook page and putting down the Roman road or some doctrine, trying to quote a bunch of scripture. What does he say we're supposed to share? What happened to us? What God has done in and through us. How the word of God that revealed Jesus Christ changed me. How I'm different now. Not because I chose to do anything. Not because I decided to be spiritual. I'm different because Jesus intersected my life. See, that's all a witness does. That's what Luke says. He says, be a witness. What does a witness do? In the courtroom, a witness just tells what happened to them, don't they? Witness doesn't tell all that happened to everybody else. A witness doesn't try to build the case. That's the attorney's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He's building the case. All we're supposed to do is when the right time and the right opportunity is the Holy Spirit leads for you to share, we're just supposed to share. Can I tell you what Jesus did for me when I was facing that? Can I tell you the hope that I have now? See, that's why obedience is so important. Please listen to me. Because as the Holy Spirit is building a case in someone's life, you don't know where you come in in that case. You may be the first person, and he's going to follow up to witness to that person with five other people. But if you don't open the door, if you don't set the foundation, then those others would never be able to build on it. You may be the one that's going to close the door. Uh, you may be the one that, is, that he wraps everything up. As you begin to share, that person comes under the conviction of God and wants to receive Christ, wants to have what you've got. So you're not responsible for the decision. You may get to be a part of it, but you're not. That's, a, that's the lawyer. That's the Holy Spirit. But you have been subpoenaed to testify. Can't get out of it. The Holy Spirit When the power of God comes on you, when you have a life-changing encounter with God, you're called to share. You're called to be a witness. You're called to testify. 1 Peter 3 says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. See, listen to me. 
If you've encountered Jesus Christ and he changed your life, you have a story. See, people in the church always say, I I don't know what to say. You have a story. You say, well, you know, my story's boring, Rusty. You know, I was five when I asked Jesus in my heart. Or I was a good kid and I never did anything wrong. I don't have one of those flaming wild testimonies that everybody wants to hear. It's just simple. I, You know, I got convicted and I decided to give my life to Jesus. And, you know, he changed me and saved me. Listen, there's nothing simple about that. You understand that? That is miraculous. You were transformed. You went from death to life. You went from an old creation to a new creation. Your whole world changed. You have a story, and your story is unique, and your story is exactly what God needs to reach people around you. And if you're silent, they miss out. And if we remain silent, we continue to fall behind in reaching those closest to us. You know, that's all Jesus told the people that he encountered to do. Tell your story. Remember the woman at the well? Remember Jesus goes to get a drink. There's a woman sitting there at a well. He begins to talk to her. Starts reading her mail, right? You know, reading her mail, like telling her what her life is going on. And she's shocked. Like, how do you know all this? You know, the man you're living with is not your husband. And you've been living with a bunch of other men before then. And she's kind of shocked. And he says, I know you're thirsty. And I'm not talking about water. I'm talking about down here you're thirsty. I can give you water that you'll thirst no more. And the Bible says her life was immediately changed. Remember the story? She's, She's blown away. She walks down the hill back to her town. Jesus is sitting there. The disciples come trotting up. Remember, they went to McDonald's, grabbed some Happy Meals. He was hungry, so they're off. They come back. They said, what in the world were you doing with that Samaritan woman? We don't talk to those people. He said, you don't have no clue what's going on here, do you? The woman went back into town. She says, guys, I met this man up on the hill. Something's different. Something's different in here. She told her story. And the Bible says the whole town, when they heard her story, went up the hill to hear Jesus. Remember the blind man at the pool of Bethesda? He's laying around wishing somebody would help him. Jesus comes up, tells him, go over there, spits in his hand, rubs some mud on his eyes. Says, now go wash and you'll see. The man goes over and washes and sees. He comes back to Jesus and says, what do I do? He says, tell people. And the man goes to his family. And remember, they're being uh, talked to by the Pharisees. The Pharisees come to his family and says, who was that man that did this? They say, I don't know. We just know he changed our boy. They go to the son. They say, listen, who is that that touched your eyes and made you see? He says, I really don't know. I just know I'm changed. See, that's a story. There are people all around you that are hurting, that are lost, that are empty on the inside, that are hungry and thirsty for truth. And all they need to hear is your story. They're waiting. And that's all the disciples had. A story. And they changed the world. Go read what John writes in 1 John chapter 1. He says, listen, I'm just telling you a story. I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. I watched him. He changed me. And I'll never be the same. You see, church, what I want you to understand is with all the communication opportunities we have around us, if we're going to talk more, shouldn't we have something to say? So how do you get started? All of us can say amen. 
I hadn't talked to near enough people this last year about Jesus. I hadn't shared. I got family members. How do you get started? You get started the way they did in Nehemiah. What did they do? They went back to this book. Go home and get into the Word of God and say, God, remind me of who I am. God, empower me. And as you get into this book, then you begin to pray. You see, you can't share until you pray. What do you pray? First of all, pray for God to open your eyes. See, some of us, we have grown so cold to the opportunities around us, we don't even see them anymore. We don't even hear them anymore. We're so blinded uh, that we have a lost brother or sister or a lost uh, child or grandchild or mother or father that we don't even hear their cries. We don't even hear the opportunities in their voices, and we just say, God, open my eyes. Let me see people the way Jesus did. Then pray for God to break your heart from being comfortable. Pray for God to break your heart from being scared. Pray for God to open your mouth. Here's some homework. Pray for God to give you five people. Put five people on your heart that you need to share with. See, it's easy to come in here and you say, Pastor, why'd you do that? That's not nice, okay? Why'd you say five people? Because it's easy to come in here and just, you know, say, oh, yes, God, I need to speak. I need to reach. I need, and walk out without any commitment. Here's what I'm saying. I dare you to ask God, give me five people that are around me that I need to share Jesus with. Put them on my heart. Begin to pray for them. And, and then after you pray for them, be intentional. Look for doors. Look for opportunities. And when they come, share. Be committed. Come up with a plan. See, we got a plan for everything except for sharing the gospel with people that need it. we got a plan for how we're going to get through tomorrow, how we're going to get through the week, how we're going to pay our bills, how we're going to do things the rest of the year, what we're going to do at school next year. And what... Why not have a plan? Those of you that are going back to school, have a plan for reaching your dorm. Have a plan for reaching your workplace, for the people around you in your cubicle. Have a plan for reaching your family. Here's what I'm going to do. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't waste any. Every post, every tweet, every text, every blog. You don't have to preach. You don't have to get on there and, and condemn. But make it count. Jesus told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. See, it's time, I believe, for us to stop just doing church and be the church. It's time for us to get back to the task and the mission that we're called to do. I want to close with this poem a friend gave me. Ten little Christians standing in a line. One disliked the preacher, then there were nine. Nine little Christians stayed up too late. One slipped in on Sunday, then there were eight. Eight little Christians on the way to heaven. One took their own road, then there were seven. Seven little Christians chirping like chicks. One disliked the music, then there were six. Six little Christians seemed very much alive. One lost interest, then there were five. Five little Christians pulling for heaven's shore. One stopped to rest, then there were four. Four little Christians busy as a bee. One burned out, then there were three. Three little Christians knew not what to do. One got their feelings hurt, then there were two. 
Two little Christians, my rhyme is almost done. They quarreled over petty stuff, then there was one. One little Christian, can't do much is true. They brought their friend a Bible study, then there was two. Two earnest Christians, each one one more. They doubled their number, then there was four. Four sincere Christians shared early and late. Each one one, then there was eight. Eight determined Christians. If they doubled as before, in two short weeks, we'd have 24. So we, we talk more than ever, but I'm afraid we're not saying anything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for in, in investing in each one of us the kingdom of God. Father, for 1,500 years, people spread the gospel person to person, sharing it with family, sharing it with friends, and it spread around the world. God, now we've been given so many valuable gifts and techniques to share, but yet we're dropping the ball. We're more interested in, in coming to worship and, and growing and getting something instead of giving something. God, open our eyes. So many say, well, I, I wouldn't know any non-Christians. All I associate with are Christians. You're not opening your eyes. Father, open our eyes that all around us people are hurting. Our kids' parents, friends' parents, our neighbors co-workers person at the store waitress at the restaurant Father forgive us that we're talking more now than ever before communication is what most of us spend all our time doing but we aren't saying anything that counts for eternity we aren't investing we aren't sharing and proclaiming God let your word come alive let your word come alive that if just four or five would receive this, commit to this, not only would we begin to overflow in this place, but revival would begin to break out as new lives were traded for old. Father, I pray right now you put on each person's heart five people, five people that they know need to hear their story. Five people that we'll commit in the next couple of weeks to, to determining to find a way to share the love of Christ. Bless us in your name. Amen. Just stand and worship with us. Your righteousness is 
You're just as slow. 